another episode of Not Quite Great Books, a TV podcast. I'm your host, Daniel Hanley, and joining me on the other line, now that he's finished helping producer Amy drag people through CD bar bathroom windows, wow. it's John McMahon. <laughs> wow. I'm glad the producer Amy can make an appearance to help with such a task. She feels like the like forever accomplice of, of ours. Yeah, she's definitely the enforcer, I think, <laughs> of, the, of the three of us. Oh, yeah. She would be the one in the bathroom, and you would be the one pulling through the window. It's a great point. It's a great point. <laughs> um, how, are you, how are you doing, Danielle? I'm doing well. I'm excited to talk about this episode. It's been a minute for us. It has. Um, since the last time we recorded, I've gotten COVID, so my brain <laughs> and voice are still a bit foggy and not quite on, on task, so we'll see how this goes. Yeah. It's, you know what? It's a post-COVID experiment, just like uh, much uh, of the, the world. The entire world, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> glad, glad we're on the same page there. Um, we've got some listener feedback, I, I believe, for the very first time, some listener feedback. Yeah. The episode. Now, because of the strange temporality that we're in um it is feedback on um episode six uh of the podcast so this is uh the producer amy's episode and so if you recall danielle in that episode of the americans stan and nina meet up in like a light installation at the contemporary art museum and we spend some time examining this so, listener Leo would like to recommend uh, the James Turrell exhibit at Mass Mocha, a museum that is one of my favorite museums in the whole world, uh, for any needed covert meetups between you and agents or other covert professionals today I'll in 2022. It. 2022. Where is this museum? Not that far from you, North oh. Adams, Massachusetts. Oh, in very in much in yeah <laughs> got yeah, it very much in uh somewhere in between you and i range so maybe Amazing. we can have our own uh covert meetup in honor of nina and stan i'll i'll like put a note in a in the fold of a bench <laughs> for you <laughs> as you sit down and then leave a leave a chalk mark on the on the quietly walk on away the, walk up to the entrance Oh, nice. Yeah. We should do, we can add it to our list of things to do. We've got Tajines and now we've got Mass Mocha. Yeah, cool. exactly. Um, it is a great museum. I do love that museum. So, and uh, actually, listener Leo, I think, is going to be a guest next season. So, so excited. Yes. I'm so excited for them to be a guest on our, on our podcast. I'm Absolutely. excited for more guests. Yeah, we've got we've got one coming up for two episodes from now. Yeah. Um, the, you know, the, if producer Amy is one of like the beating hearts of the show behind the scenes, our future guest in episode 13 is the other. Yeah. I would say that my sisters are, uh, they're going to be coming up for the listeners, right? Like just in our weird temporality, sure. <laughs> not a beating, not beating hearts behind the scenes, but a, you know, a chorus of chaos <laughs> of chaos. Of chaos. Exactly. I think we've exactly. now, the Swirl Conspiracy, the course of chaos. We've got we love, many opportunities. We love, for, well, I've been doing a lot of reading about swarms. And so, like, swarm, chorus, chorus of chaos, all of this feels very right. <laughs> yeah. Um, 
Speaking of chaos, uh, uh, we are talking about on this episode, uh, season one, episode 11 of The Americans, Covert War, which is directed by Nicole Castle and written by Joshua Brand and Melissa James Gibson. And Danielle, do you have an IMDb summary for us? I do. The IMDb summary is... Events in Moscow strike a personal chord for Elizabeth, leading her to take on a dangerous mission she can't complete without Philip's help, and placing the couple on a collision course with both Granny and the FBI. I mean, I feel like that's a pretty solid summary, though it does miss all of the extra nonsense. (laughs) There's some extra nonsense, and we'll get into it. But I mean, Danielle, this is a very... Elizabeth and Zhukov rather than Elizabeth and Philip uh, centric episode. So maybe that's a way in to thinking about this episode. So what do we learn about Elizabeth through the, the, we get a series of three flashbacks, right? So sometime in the sixties, there's like a nice Khrushchev portrait (laughs) in the office. Um, 1971, they're in Geneva, 1976, they're in Florence. They're meeting up in all of these places. This is Zhukov, Elizabeth's mentor. Uh, the one who kind of was in charge of her training, puts her and Philip together. But like, what, what do you, or what do we as, audience members learn about Elizabeth through these nostalgia flashbacks? I think we get a little bit of a, I don't want to say softer side of Elizabeth, but we get a more vulnerable side of Elizabeth yeah. and like, and a vulnerable in a, a kind of vulnerability that's still being funneled towards like, you know, the strength of the party, like her nationalism, her commitment to the mission, but like, a there's a little bit of a peeling back that I think Zhukov uh, facilitates with Elizabeth, and I think it seems like right she when we first when we first encounter Elizabeth in the first flashback, the earliest one, she's really buttoned up, and yeah. like each flashback, like there's a little bit of an opening, and so I think it really does paint a a helpful picture. Just thinking about like you know who Zhukov was for Elizabeth in, ter- in in the official sense, but also who he was for her emotionally. And it, it, it helps us understand the rashness of her decisions within the episode. Yeah, that's a really important point because there's a kind of emotional honesty or transparency with Elizabeth and Zhukov that arguably thus far we have rarely or perhaps never seen her have with Philip or with any other person on this show, right? So Zhukov is in some ways, I think the person with whom she has that kind of uh, emotional vulnerability, right? To use your, to your point or openness with, and we get the kind of exact converse of that in her reaction to Zhukov's death, right? She has the most, the the most dramatic or most drastic breakdown yeah. that we have ever seen her have, I believe, to this point in this episode as well, in the aftermath of this death of his death. And so like there's this way in which Zhukov becomes the crucible through which we access so much of Elizabeth's emotionality in this episode in a way that then opens back up onto all that we have seen of Elizabeth to this point. This might be like a part for Danielle Dossier, but like there is something about the relationship that we see between Elizabeth and Zhukov. And just like we've seen tidbits of it before, but that strikes me as, as more authentic than other relationships. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's kind of like a game recognized game. Like I know that like they're like, as Elizabeth, it's like, I know that 
you can you have the ability to and the power to and the position to manipulate me and yet like we're still sort of opening and like we're in this honest space and and I don't know there's like I think a more cynical Sunday morning Danielle would want to read all of this as manipulation, but like it, I, it, I just can't, maybe it's the dog. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Malish is, is crucial to making these scenes work. Um, Malish <laughs> the dog. Um, I mean, and even the, the, the content of their conversations is perhaps also worth mentioning. So when they're at the art museum in Geneva, speaking of meeting your spies in an art museum, when they're at the art museum in Geneva in 1971, right? So they, so Elizabeth is pregnant with Henry, mm-hmm. but considering an abortion. Right? Yeah. And like they kind of 90% frankly address whether or not she's considering an abortion, whether she's definitely going to have this baby. And Philip doesn't even know that Elizabeth is pregnant at this yeah. point, right? And Elizabeth is saying, I've purposely not told him. Zhukov finishes that sentence by saying, in case you decide, you know, decide not to have it or whatever it is Zhukov says. Yeah. And yeah. so, I mean, there's, there's that aspect of it. There's this, I mean, there's, a very kind of melodramatic conversation they have in these gardens in the spring of 1976 in Florence yeah. about, you know, Elizabeth says something to the effect of, I miss what I've never had. Yeah. Um, you know, there's just a lot of, a lot of kind of deep conversation that is connected to the actualities of Elizabeth's spy life. Yeah. And I also think that there is, they're like two beats away from us being able to read this as like having romantic undertones or overtones. And yet like, that's not where you initially go. And I think it is like helped by the fact that we've never met Elizabeth's father. And that like the absence of her father has been like a presence in earlier flashbacks. So then Zhukov gets to step into that role. Mm -hmm. I definitely think that's true. And so, you know, I mean, Maybe it's worth just briefly mentioning. So we have this scene where Zhukov is assassinated at, at his apartment in Moscow, right? His, the doorbell rings, his doorman or whomever, uh, his comrade, his tovarish answers the door. Um, nothing seemingly uh, is afoot, but Zhukov is suspicious when he doesn't kind of hear anything happen. Zhukov goes for his gun, a fight ensues, and Zhukov is killed in his apartment. I just want to say, I like, I feel like I I have to say that like, there is no way my first note to myself in watching this is like, Zhukov would not have that. No one would open that door. Like this is a, a man who is one of the higher ups in the KGB. He's not expecting anybody. And he just lets his butler open the door. Like, I'm sorry. That's just not happening. I agree. Um, I agree that <laughs> Jukov never should have opened that door, but his person opened that door. And then, I mean, and this is, you know, part of a retaliatory scheme by the FBI working with the CIA in response to the events of the preceding episodes, right, to Amador's death in particular, but also the death of the scientist that yeah. Elizabeth and Philip couldn't stop. And so there's this seen then afterwards, and this is perhaps a way to kind of spin forward to how Elizabeth responds to news of Zhukov's death, where she's talking with Claudia there in a park, as they often are, and Claudia breaks the news and says something like they're monsters, they're assassins with federal identification, and 
simultaneously gives Elizabeth information about the CIA person who oversaw the operation and is like, don't do anything, Elizabeth. Moscow says we're going to try to back down so it doesn't spiral further out of control. Please, please, please don't kill this guy that I gave you the instigation and information that that is necessary to do it. Yes, exactly. (laughs) Claudia doxes Elizabeth, tells her not to do anything with it. And of course she knows Elizabeth is going to do something with it. Yeah, and so just to like continue on with those quotes, there is uh, Elizabeth says Moscow is wrong, and then Claudia says I follow orders, and it's like you follow orders, but you're and we learn this later, right? You're banking on the fact that Elizabeth is willing to not follow orders. Yes, and I appreciate that the show initially like leaves it open as to whether Claudia is kind of egging her on or playing her or genuinely wants her to back down. Yeah. Um, and then answers the question that later in the episode that obviously Claudia did not think Elizabeth would back down. Yeah. And like, I, I watched this episode twice and like, I was suspicious of Claudia as I always am the first time. Um, and so then the second time, once I knew what had happened, I was like, okay, like, yes, it's very clear that she's sort of like, she's slipping it in, in such a way that no one could ever read as, um, as like telling her to disobey, but like, it's really interesting in both of the, in both the scenes with Claudia, the way that she's like mentioning the stuff with Gregory and Mm -hmm. the, like the street performance, right? Like, that's just like. And I think that that's for us to learn that Claudia is like learning that Elizabeth is willing to like disobey orders or step outside when it comes to people that she has an emotional connection to. Right. Which of course raises the question for Claudia. And then Elizabeth a little bit throws this into her face at the very end of is Claudia purposely driving a wedge between Elizabeth and Philip so as to exert more predictable control over that dynamic or that aspect of Elizabeth's life? The answer is yes. (laughs) (laughs) And I think like, right, the scene right before that last scene between Elizabeth and Claudia is the scene where Elizabeth shows back up or shows up on Philip's motel doorstep. Correct. Thank you, beer. Thank you, beer. Wild. I was really like, is the guy peeing from earlier, like going to be a secret agent? (laughs) (laughs) Like maybe like too many spirals. Um, But the scene, right. Right. So that scene immediately proceeds the interaction between Claudia and Elizabeth. And it's like, that's where we learn in the scene with Claudia and Elizabeth. We learn that now Elizabeth is onto the scent of being manipulated by Claudia. Right. Yes. And his, potentially been there all along, but the combination of Zhukov's death, the explicit manipulation or attempted manipulation successful of Elizabeth by Claudia and then that Elizabeth had gone to the motel to make up with Philip, invite him back home. And <sighs> Philip's like, I've got an apartment. I'm so um, sad. I just <laughs> want them to be together. <laughs> I know they will be, but like, I just, it's like the motel is so seedy. Like he doesn't have food. He's like, let's just get Skittles. <laughs> <laughs> right. Just like a bad conference situation. <laughs> <laughs> God. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> 
Um. <laughs> <laughs> I was just thinking like when they're like at the vending machine, I, this wasn't a bad conference. It's actually a great conference, but I was just out at Western about a month ago, um, political science conference. And, um, the first night, like b- because of like when I got in and I'd like seen people, it, it was like 10 o'clock and I hadn't eaten anything. And I just like, didn't know where anything in Portland was to eat. So I like went to the like vending machine and got like, cheese and crackers like from the vending machine and m&ms and i'm like what is this life <laughs> it's the philip jennings motel deluxe exactly <laughs> the buffet <laughs> oh, oh my is there gosh. anything else you wanted to get into about elizabeth and claudia um i think it's mm, that scene between the two of them in the car is i think one of the classic defining scenes of their relationship and of yeah. claudia as a character Elizabeth is just out of control in this scene. Yeah. Right? Um, It isn't going to go well for you, old lady. All you ever wanted to do was to hurt us. You hate us because we're better than you. And on and on and on. And like, I beat your yes, face in. <laughs> yes, I beat your face in, of course. Uh, you're not easy to love, right? And these things are not necessarily all wrong. And indeed, Claudia is trying to manipulate slash run as any agent would presumably run their own agents mm-hmm. um, in the field or whatever. And yet just Elizabeth's kind of spiraling out of control in the Mm -hmm. aftermath of Zhukov's death, which, you know, affects multiple dimensions of her professional life, quote unquote, right? It's the fact that she goes crazy with the CIA guy, um, who I keep wanting to call Robert Pattinson, but that's not his name. It's Richard Patterson, but (laughs) obviously I think of Robert Pattinson. Um, I was going to call him dollar store Aiden from uh, Sex and the City. So his actual that, name that works. works. That works too. Um, we got dollar store Aiden's on dollar store Zach Braff. Yeah. Uh, there's a throwback, <laughs> throwback for those who stuck through the episode a little while ago. Um, oh. No, so there's just the, the Elizabeth kind of having a somewhat uncharacteristic lack of self-understanding, or self-control, like usually she has mixed together her extreme devotion to the Soviet Union as she understands how to enact that Mm -hmm. with some element of self-control. And whether it's with uh, Richard Patterson, whether it's with Claudia, that's just not the case anymore. Yeah, I think like we're meant to take just how important Zhukov was to her from that, right? Like what's, what are the things that could cause her to spin out of control? Like the only other things we've seen, we've seen like deviate her from the sort of official path are the stuff with Gregory, right? But even then she was like falling in line or like out of line in the way that like kept everything else in line, Uh right? Mm -hmm. Um, and, and then like thinking that the, the Soviet union, like that the KGB thought that she was a spy, like those are the two things. The Zhukov thing is a much bigger jolt than that. But like, we've already seen the tension between Claudia and Elizabeth, like simmering. It subsided a bit, but now it's like, it's back. It sure is. Danielle, what do you think of Elizabeth's um, operational strategy with oh. Rob, R- Richard Patterson in the bar? 
on the one hand, it's a real throwback to like episode one, right? Like it's a real yeah. throwback. I, it's I'm 95% sure it's the exact same set. Yeah. <laughs> Fair. Um, the thing that was interesting to me was I, I was like transfixed by the scar on her face. Mm-hmm. And then something that we were chatting about a little bit before is like, it's so smart and calculated, right? Because it's like, if he's then giving a, if he's like, if they eventually let him survive or he escapes or it doesn't work, if he's describing the person who tried to abduct him, he's describing someone with a scar on their face and like Elizabeth doesn't have a scar on her face yeah. or like an 80s perm. But, you know, we'll get into That's that in wig talk. We sure will. I mean, the the actual mechanism she uses to, quote-unquote, seduce this guy is, like, so ridiculous and bad that it's kind of brilliant and wonderful, right? So, like, they're, you know... She, I loved it. <laughs> she is, like, ribbing him for musical taste. Like, he picked Pete Townsend, and she's like, I thought you picked Air Supply, then he makes a joke about Pat Benatar and then she's like, I really love doing crossword puzzles. Here's a clue number move. one and clue number two is a four letter slang word to end. Do you wanna? And then they make eye contact and go to the bathroom as there's like of the music cue of the Pete Townsend song. It's like of the most obvious like lyric in that entire song about two people going to go fuck like yeah. hits at exactly the time she finishes asking the question. Yeah. Do you want to then, you know, it's just, it's so obvious and so absurd that I did kind of love it. I loved it. I'm also like, Oh, I'm definitely bringing my book of crosswords next time I go to a bar, like a million percent as, as a seduction tool. Yeah, why not? Okay. Okay. Just just clarifying. Um, <laughs> the fight scene between the two of them in the bathroom is very intense. And he went real... He went to the chokehold real quick. <laughs> like- sure did. Um, sure did. And I mean, this is... There's something about this particular form of violence that Elizabeth engages in with him mm-hmm. that I think is worth talking about. And later, the previous conversation we were having, because... Th- she has committed violence in a kind of intimate and close-up way any number of times throughout this first season of the show. And yet, because of the Zhukov retaliation aspect of it all, this becomes so personal, so intimate for her that she ultimately cannot go through with it, right? It's like she can only engage in this particular form of direct violence against another person if she is able to maintain some kind of emotional remove. Yeah. And because she is unable to, because she has this breakdown, like she is unable to do the efficient killing that she is, you know, designed and understands herself to be one of the best possible people in literally the world to be able to do. Yeah, I mean, I guess I I might offer like a a slight tweak or like not challenge but like a complication to that, which is I think that going back to our earlier conversation, Zhukov is someone who brings out Elizabeth's vulnerability in ways yeah. that are productive to to the to the mission, right? In ways that are productive to like the whole thing. And I think like one of the things that we see in the interaction between Richard Patterson, CIA bro, um, dollar store Aiden and Elizabeth, when she's got the gun trained on him is like, he is like tapping into exactly that and exploiting it. Right. So like he knows that he's dealing with a professional, 
um, someone who's like done this before, or like at least someone who has calculated this. And he knows that like, in order to, to like, uh, break down the wall, he has to appeal to like, or challenge like her humanity in some way. So Mm -hmm. the very thing that Zhukov was like able to bring out in Elizabeth to make her a more productive agent is the thing that like CIA bro is exploiting. And so I think it like, it's the explosion of, of like the familiarity and the inability to control, which is like what the Zhukov stuff has done. It's a wonderful point. And it highlights the way that CIA bro tries to and effectively denies Elizabeth the moral high ground that she is seeking in that confrontation in, you know, dusty garage number nine, (laughs) where, you know, Elizabeth is like, I want to know how it feels to order the deaths of innocent people. And A, he's like, these aren't innocent people. Like, these are KGB officers. Like, we all know what the game is here. And B, like, I mean, he gives the, I'm just following orders. I'm just a bureaucrat line, which obviously Elizabeth has no time for, but it's these ways in which he is, to your point, kind of picking at the precise kind of emotional balance that Zhukov had helped inculcate in her. It's like, right, they tell you, I feel like this is like a, like remembering an episode of Grey's Anatomy where this was like used, but they wait for this, right? They tell you if like you're ever held at gunpoint that you're supposed to like tell the person with the gun, like your name and that you're a daughter and a mother and a blah, 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 blah. Like you're supposed to give personal details and that like makes it more difficult for them to pull the trigger. And that's like effectively this bro is like, is, is doing a version of that, but like to Elizabeth, right? Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> if only Elizabeth had seen Grey's Anatomy in the eighties and been able to counter this this uh, this tactic. There you go. Uh, should we talk a little bit maybe about Philip and Elizabeth because I think that's a really interesting dynamic. The that I mean, I wasn't surprised that Philip shows up for her because ultimately, like, like that's that's what he does. That's what he does. Um, but I. I think that like Philip won a little piece of my heart when he was like, I'll do it. Um, and because in the last episode, when he, when he was like, I'll pull the trigger on Gregory, like he's willing to do the hard things for her and he sees her breaking down in all of these ways. He sure does. And I think he feels guilty for like, for pushing her to that edge, right? Like the stuff with them is not disconnected from the like, the broader like emotional breakdown that she's sort of experiencing. Right. Because even if their relationship at this stage is not one that can be a source of great emotional comfort when it is working insofar as it works. Yeah. When it is not working, it will exacerbate what other kind of emotional disequilibrium she's experiencing. Exactly. Exactly. So, yeah. And I mean, there's the, there's also Philip, his sarcasm when, Elizabeth is like walking through how she wants to do this op against CIA bro is fascinating. Right. So Elizabeth says, well, he's reckless with women and Philip's like, who's being reckless. (laughs) Right. And Philip's like, no, we just got done defying orders. You made it too personal, et cetera, et cetera. And like wants to make Elizabeth confess to wanting to, you know, look in his eyes when he dies, right? This person that she's seeking to kill. So the way in which Philip is both 
quote unquote supportive in a certain way, but also confronting and kind of forcing Elizabeth's emotional yeah. um, admissions in all of this is a necessary role, it seems, for their relationship. Yeah, and I think it's it's something that we you start to see Philip step back into that role a little bit in the previous episode right. with with everything with Gregory. And, and now it's like, we see how necessary it is for their dynamic. And also like, if we're thinking about the end point of this, Elizabeth rolls into his hotel room, like, Hey, you up here, here's some beers, (laughs) um, stepping back into like that sort of both and role that he plays for her is part of what is helping Elizabeth remember, like, even though, Zhukov is gone, and that is obviously one of her sort of, like, touchstones in this whole thing. Philip has also become a touchstone, and that's part of what we learn Mm -hmm. in the discussions, in the flashbacks between Zhukov and and Elizabeth. And it's the thing that, even as Philip is like, I'm not coming, I'm not going home, I'm moving into an apartment, I'm making this more permanent or semi-permanent arrangement, like, that activates Elizabeth's final conversation, confrontation with Claudia then. Yeah. Also, I'm like, maybe we'll see this apartment for, like, an episode. (laughs) Okay. Um, Daniel Vassier is rejecting extended real estate uh, dealings by Philip. This dude got a month-to-month place. Like, come on. This, I think, perhaps brings us to the last major point of discussion here, Danielle, and that is our our favorite theme of the Americans, the mirroring, paralleling, uh, assemblaging of the interpersonal tension and the geopolitical tension, which manifests not only in the Philip-Elizabeth relationship, but also in the Stan-Sandy relationship. So, early in the episode, like structurally, it's an interesting episode, right? Because we get the war speech, another war speech by Gad. And then we have the Zhukov scene. Then we get like a pretty substantial break of like just kind of interpersonal dynamics, family dynamics, marriage dynamics. So we have the scene of Elizabeth and Sandy out at the bar and Sandy is both drunk and like sad about Stan and Elizabeth is both being a friend and totally running Sandy for um, at the very same time. And then we get this confrontational scene between Sandy and Stan when Stan finally gets home after Sandy had already been home from the bar um, with Elizabeth and it had more drinks. Sandy is on one, <laughs> like real, real drunk. Like, we already see her drunk at the bar. Then she calls and talks to Matthew. She almost starts crying. And then, like, she's back in the kitchen. And she's like, I called headquarters. And my I was, like, really impressed by Sandy in that moment. Um, and also just impressed by, like, we get, we get such a good download from Sandy of, like, I tell myself these stories and I know that they're not true. I know that like something is up with you. I know that you're fucking around on me. Like, and you can tell me that it's like for the mission, but like you're lost. And I know that this is why you're lost. Right. And the ironic thing is that Sandy is right on all counts. Stan is telling himself this is for the mission. Exactly. When in fact, he's really just fucking around on yeah. her with Nina. Yeah, exactly. And so like, I, the scene between Stan and Sandy was so interesting because I actually like, 
I wouldn't have put it to Sandy to, to call headquarters. I wouldn't have, I, she like until this point in the, in the season has really struck me as someone who was like, would want to hear those, would want to tell herself those lies and sort of sit in it. And I was like impressed that, and like this is probably some of the alcohol, right? But impressed that she had like taken that step to be like, I know that you're like, I know that something's up here. Right. And Stan goes to his standard line that he uses now, not only on Nina, but also on Sandy of you don't understand the dynamics of what's happening. A hundred percent. Which is, he's literally has said a version of that to Nina before when Nina, like Sandy here, both of them have clearer understandings of the situation and the emotional currents than Stan does. And I think I, I really like this scene just as kind of a like creation of uh, television making or filmmaking or whatever, the blocking and like the way that they use the kitchen, like the space of the kitchen between the two of them is like high quality acting, high quality, like directing, whatever. And also that they let the fight be messy and unresolved as a fight between a, you know, between two spouses or two significant others would in fact likely be in real life, especially yeah. these two people and especially Stan's like lack of emotional uh, self-understanding or therapy. Um, yes. So like the, there's just a way in which just as a craft that I thought the scene was really well done. In addition to the ways it's like speaking to these broader issues about what Stan is doing in his uh, strange life. Yeah. And like, There's something so pathetic about the final scene with Stan and Nina where like, of course he goes back to her. Of Of course. course, Like he's still not. Which Nina, again, Nina knows that Stan is not going to like fully stay away. And, you know, it's all of 90 seconds. She like starts to put her bra on and it's like, it's just like, it's, it's, I think like it is fun watching Nina run Stan. It is. And the way that Annette Mahendru acts it is revealing of the way that Nina is running Stan. Like if you just watch her eyes, right? Because the camera is like facing her like neck up basically. She's taken the robe off, is starting to put her bra back on. And like her eyes know exactly what Stan is going to do. And then her eyes recognize when Stan gets up off of the bed or the chair or whatever and starts taking steps towards her. It's the both, it's like the way in which she communicates both the, I understand fully what's happening here and I'm in control of this and this is fucked up and I have no agency. Like all of those things are on her face and in her eyes in those 15 seconds of the television episode. It is. You're absolutely right to, to, underline the acting because it's it's honestly it's impressive to be able to hold all of those things without words right in just in just eyes and her body language too oh yeah the body language the way she stands the way she's lying on the bed like all of that is very in control and that's true on a plot level too right because nina is briefed earlier in the episode by arcadi and we're coming back to this interaction in glass don't you worry <laughs> folks um, do not worry <laughs> and it's like briefed on the all the way back in episode two of the season when they put bug the clock in Casper yes. Weinberger's office. And that comes back in this episode, Arcadi briefs Nina and Nina like doesn't tell this to Stan at all. Yeah. And so yeah. it's again, it's to your point, like how Nina is coming to run Stan in certain ways. Yeah. And, and like, 
you know, Nina has gotten a promotion in this episode, right? And yeah. so I think, like, it's going to be... I'm excited to see what happens with Nina because, like, this really does feel like the first time in a lot of episodes where she is in a little bit more control and where she is keeping things from Stan because also she knows that he's keeping things from her. Exactly. Ugh. <laughs> Exactly. Listen, we love a fucked up version of female empowerment on this, on uh, not by great books. <laughs> what, what, what else is the Americans if not precisely that? Exactly. <laughs> so I think I think maybe that's a, a sign to move on to segments, Danielle. Yeah, let's get into let's get into these segments. So um let's start off with Barb Nostalgia for the Unremembered 80s. Yeah. Still have no idea what that means. <laughs> Still I think I think multiple of our season two guests might be able to might be able to explain this okay great great i'm still holding out hope we like make it to the end and it's you know part of the finale is i also <laughs> list you but anyway um i think it's i think as is uh normal now at this point in the arc of not quite great books uh do you have a do you have a wig talk check-in? Oh, definitely have wig check-in so first of all like the wig that Elizabeth wears to seduce the CIA agent is just like the most eighties of all wigs. It's like, it's got a perm. It's like a weird shade of red, brown. It's it the, like the red, brown is what really like ties it all together. It's like clipped its only on one side. Like, so that I also think the, uh, we get a new, a new version of dirtbag Philip with like the curly wig. So trucker dirtbag Philip, trucker dirtbag Philip. Yeah, I like, like that. Really terrible facial hair. Yeah, um, yeah, like very it would, shaggy. Like oddly fit in now in like the way that a lot of straight men have really bad <laughs> facial hair. Um, that feels like a read, and I love it. <laughs> um, that's a long, maybe a longer story for another day, but um, <laughs> but yeah, new, new, new dirtbag Philip. New, so we get a new Elizabeth wig, a new dirtbag Philip wig. Just like the wigs are doing the most, they are reminding us that we are in the unremembered eighties, um, and these are things that we don't want to remember. Yeah, um, Clark has a mock turtleneck. Oh, uh, you know, upgraded the- from the full <laughs> to the mock. I was almost wearing a turtleneck today and then I I took it off because I was like, I can't. (laughs) It'd be too much. Um, That's the singularity. Um, I will say Philip is getting finally a little bit of the glow up that I said would happen all the way back in like episode one or two. Yeah. He gets some like much better fits in this episode than he's gotten previously when he is as Philip. I appreciate that. I do not pay attention to Philip's clothes at all. (laughs) Fair. Um, also, in terms of 80s nostalgia that we're borrowing, this bar slash club uh, that Elizabeth like, and Andy go to, what is, what is <laughs> happening? There's tinsel. There's a lot of white people dancing badly to <laughs> 70s, like, disco funk. I don't I don't understand. Danielle, can you explain to me this bar that they're in? <laughs> This felt like the seventies and they're, they're like Sandy and Elizabeth's outfits also felt like a little too slinky for the eighties. <laughs> like there was something about Sandy's dress where I was like, this feels like a little, this feels like seventies disco. And then that with like the silver, like things on the dance floor and the strobe light. I was like, this feels very seventies. Um, 
Yeah, it just, I mean, it feels like this was a bar that, like, a cousin of mine had a christening at wow. during the day. <laughs> like, in the <laughs> 80s. <laughs> like that's the the best description i've ever heard of any scene setting like any time in my life in the in the morning there's like a there's the party of a christening there and everybody's dancing the hands up yep Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) elizabeth and sandy also could have been dancing to hands up and i would not have been surprised one million percent one million percent so lots of vibes, lots of so lots so of many vibes. vibes. Not vibes that we're here for, but there are no. vibes. <laughs> vibes that we've maybe been at before, but <laughs> ain't that the truth? <laughs> we get, I think, the last eighties uh, nostalgia question mark that yeah. we're doing is so Matthew, you know, proving to be a cooler guy than we thought. Like he's yeah. at the midnight Rocky horror picture show. He's cool with wearing some makeup. Everyone's doing it. Throwing spoons uh, and whatnot. Yeah, exactly. Um, who doesn't get it? Stan. Stan. Stan's homophobia is definitely eighties nostalgia, but also as I have in my notes, like it is no surprise that Matthew reads his dad as homophobic. Yeah, it's like, it's a perfectly consistent uh, scene. It's just a kind of tossed off 20, 30 second scene, (laughs) but it totally works as a little bit of a capsule on the end of the Stan Sandy. Like Stan is also incredibly disconnected with Matthew and we are not to forget that either. Yeah. And like we, you know, we get a little of that when Sandy is on the phone with Matthew when she's at the bar, also like silently weeping into the payphone. Also 80s nostalgia. Um, (laughs) And Matthew's like, of course, dad's working late. It's like, okay, we get it. So I I appreciated Matthew's like, no, dad. And it doesn't mean I'm gay. It's like, get over yourself. Get over yourself, Stan, is a a common refrain that should be uttered more often. Absolutely. Okay, so let's move on to minor character of the week. John, I'm going to throw this to you. This is, uh, I don't know who this is. That's true. Unlike usually, unlike the other episodes, we have not discussed this beforehand, and that is because I'm going to mention somebody's minor character of the week that actually Danielle brought up on her own accord earlier. The minor character of the week is Malish the dog. <laughs> I love it. I love it. And, I also and love that you know his name. Malish the dog, like, I feel is, is a beautiful creature. Zhukov yep. um, insists that Malish is neither beautiful nor smart, and I'm like, come on, Zhukov. That is... That is not nice to your companion, your one true love, who you admit is your one true love. Uh, so Malish the dog, who is there to provide some emotional uh, shading to Zhukov, who is there for to be an object of, like, cathexis for <laughs> Zhukov explaining how emotions work to Elizabeth. And by way of that... Zhukov maybe makes an analogy between him and Malish and Elizabeth and Philip. So Philip is like the dog Malish. So I have a couple of things. I love that. I love that. What a great minor character. Well done. Thank you. Neither beautiful nor smart is kind of how I would describe golden retrievers though. So, (laughs) and we had a lot of golden retrievers growing up. One named Shasti after Shostakovich because my mom was a dancer and, and like we love that. that was a thing. One named Speedo because we were all swimmers. 
As we learned, uh, as we learned on episode eight, <laughs> on episode eight, Becky and Tori didn't love swimming as much as me and Kate did. But I think neither beautiful nor smart is a great description of a golden retriever. Um, to the Philip Malish parallels, the Jukov is like not necessarily keeping on lock. No, like, no, this no. Is, it's He's, a legitimate, it's, plausible reading of what he is telling. Like, us. It's it is the reading that I had. So, like one hundred percent, it's a plausible reading. Um, I like. In terms of Zhukov giving Elizabeth, like, feedback and guidance, I actually don't think that that's super wrong because, like, that is how Elizabeth at the time views Philip, right? Like, maybe not now, but, like, for most of the years of their arranged marriage, she's like, who is this idiot? And Philip knows <laughs> it, right? Philip Philip says to her, I saw, I saw that that look on your face when I walked into the room, you were disappointed. So I think like the parallels that Zhukov is drawing are not super off base. And like, it just reminds us how well he can read Elizabeth. Perfect. Perfect. <laughs> so Malish, RIP Malish. RIP. Um, also Malish brought me fond memories of when like I had my semester in St. Petersburg, my host family had a cat named Frosia. So I was thinking of Frosia the cat. Are Malish and Frosia like names that are connected to each other? Or are you just like, oh, this is no, a Russian like, pet like name? Rus- Russian companion <laughs> okay. pet, like species. Come on. Well, I mean, I, 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 I wish I had some theory unifying the names. I don't know. But... Maybe like Malish is like Spot. Who knows? I literally do not speak any of these languages. Malish, I don't know. Malianki is small, if I remember correctly. But like, I don't think that that's, I don't think that that's. To what is Frosia? I don't I have no idea. No idea. Okay. So, uh, Russian companions. Yeah, okay, Russian we'll take companions. it. Okay. Uh, time for Daniel Dossier. Do you have any Russian companions or other <laughs> files to uh, clarify into the dossier this week? Yeah, I think we got to dip back into the, like, Claudia suspicion file. Yes. Uh, like, good on Elizabeth for being able to be like, okay, I I see what you're doing here. And I just think that, like... I think earlier on in the season, we talked a little bit about, I think I had talked a little bit about like, just like not trusting Claudia. I think this episode is like, let's just pile all those red flags into her dossier and not trusting her. And it's like, it is unclear to me, like what there's like, something is up here, right? Like something is Something is amiss, and the we the first sort of hint we got of that is is earlier on in the season where they're like, oh, we don't usually talk to who is the other who was earlier Claudia, Gabriel. Gabriel, thank you. Yes, <laughs> we don't, we don't meet him face to face, and she was like, well, like this is like things More have changed. Hands on approach, things have changed. Yeah. yeah. And so it just makes me think that, like, maybe she's part of a rogue faction or, like, like something is up here with Claudia that might help us understand the stuff that's changed that Elizabeth and Philip have called out. And, like, I would also say the, like, torturing Elizabeth and Philip is probably also part of the, the something that's up. Right. Like that though. And she tells them that those are not things that like the higher ups necessarily approved. So what's the, 
what's the relationship between Claudia and Moscow is like a question I have. And I think one that this episode allows us to ask in a couple of different ways. I will generally offer no comment only to say that in later seasons, the internal politics of the KGB become more central. Ooh, I'm so excited. I love so. it. I love a messed up spy ring. <laughs> <laughs> we didn't get a lot of spy stuff in this episode. That's true. I mean, we got the whole operation with uh, CIA I know, bro. but I want, like, notes in a bench, like, okay. at Mass Mocha, you know? Okay, fair enough. <laughs> and, fair like, enough. And, like, cool drops of things. Like, that. I want – or, like – Digging up weapons in the woods. <laughs> <laughs> that that's true. We we want we want rustic spycraft. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is ultimately what we're it's seeking the in 80s. our TV shows. <laughs> I didn't know that was the eighties. Well, but I'm- I was the, part of what I was thinking about in like sort of in trying to think through some of the bar nostalgia stuff and and some of the Daniel Dossier stuff is that. If and and again going back to Elizabeth's scar on her face, which I'm obviously like transfixed on, um, or rather fixated on, is that today there would be videos of these things. People would have taken the video on a camera, like there would have been security cameras at more than just the gym. But the fact that she calls out the fact that there are security cameras at the gym and that's weird, like right, like so many of these things like that that just again just make it so interesting that it's set in the eighties before the sort of like the technological panopticon that we exist in today. Brilliant technological panopticons. I think actually fit us well to talk about Quas <laughs> this week. Um, Danielle, how did you personally feel when <laughs> Philip opens the door? Philip slash Clark opens the door, or or more accurately, Martha like half opens the door and is like kind of hiding behind and- to really emphasize the surprise nature of it all. And boom, there are the parents and like Clark's face. Just I, like- my whole body cringed. I was like, what a terrible way to meet anybody's parents. And th- like, so that's like terrible, but also Clark is not an asshole. Right. Exactly. But that's like one of the hallmarks of him. And so he can't, we could can see on his face that he's like ready to kill somebody. <laughs> I mean, especially when, like, he has this very sweet moment with uh, Martha as he's leaving. He's like, I gotta go. I got work stuff. Like, what the fuck is happening here? It's very, very sweet to Martha. Says exactly the thing that Martha wants to hear from from him. And then as he turns and, like, walks down the hallway, it's we get the, like, second and a half of Philip being pissed from the Clark facade being dropped. Yeah. Yeah, I just, it, uh, I, the whole, that whole interaction, I feel like this is a good link to the dossier because I, I feel like Martha's parents meeting Clark is going to come back. It's got to come back. But the other thing that I was very uncomfortable by was like the father being like very critical of Fiddler on the Roof and then being like, we're Lutheran. (laughs) Just like that, I was like, you know, I, I was, I was, I was hoping that this would come up. Um, like, he has lots of notes on Fiddler. Too many notes. <laughs> Too many notes. 
Too many notes. <laughs> and Fiddler from our waspy Lutheran yeah. uh, Martha parents. And then he's like, how did you grow up? I was like, oh, God, I, like, what's happening here? And Philip or Philip slash Clark never had to ask himself this question. And on the, on the spot comes up with Protestant, Presbyterian. <laughs> I was impressed because, honestly, I would have been like, I'm an atheist. Like, and I'm not. <laughs> I'm Jewish. But, like, that, that would have been – that was the response that I thought Philip was going to have. <laughs> Yeah, I did not love. He's it. he's too good a spy to to come up with with atheism on yeah. the spot. And I mean, I will say, like this is this is a uh, perhaps odd way into it, but this is another episode in this first season where I'm like, there is way too much plot coming way too quickly, and I'm like, there's I don't think a good reason why this couldn't have waited until the second season to happen, like as the Martha Clark d- dynamic deepens in the second season. Uh, like it's just it's a one of these there's a little too much happening plot wise um in this in this episode yeah. in this season and this i think like another way that this shows up is the way in which like the serialization of this season is a little bit off kilter like we yeah. haven't heard about the bug in Weinberger's office i think there was like one brief mention of it yeah. in the season and then now it comes back because arkady is telling nina about it and it's like it's you know on the one hand it's like okay good they like put the bug in our ear quite literally ha 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 yeah we're gonna always bring it back and also it's an example of there are just so many like threads dangling from the spy craft of the week of it all yeah that it's like a it's it's not quite like tightly wound enough for me in this season in a way that it will be more tightly wound in future seasons that i think that assessment makes sense I, i i having not watched further than this like there like i i'm believe you that it gets it gets tighter later on i do think there are a couple of episodes in the middle of this season where we where the things are linked up more um and i sort of think that those links fall away with gregory right Mm -hmm. because gregory was like the team we kept going back to we kept hearing about but i think you're absolutely right like we don't really hear about the bug there isn't like a lot of from the stuff from the beginning hasn't necessarily paid off um and the the nina of it all has only been like sort of loosely connected to things so i'm excited for when things become a little bit more intertwined or like yeah those pieces more that's a good way to put it because this is not like a puzzle box show to solve yeah and things like we put the bug in Weinberger's office in episode two. We had maybe a brief mention of it mid season. And now it comes back here at the end feels more like a less thematically emotionally rich show. That's more of a puzzle box to what they would do. than I would want Then the Americans will become in later seasons. Yeah. And I, I think like to your point about the dangling threads, like, I'm excited to see which threads come together and which ones we just sort of like lop off at the yeah. end of the season and move on with. Yeah. I watch enough puzzle box shows. I like like that this isn't a puzzle box show. So I'm like excited for the links. Yeah. I mean, even like, I mean, I don't think you finished this yet, so we won't go into too many details, but like I didn't watch Severance as a puzzle box show. Yeah. I mean, I, I think I, I'm not done with it yet, but like I, the, the I don't think just having listened to a number of, of interviews with Ben Stiller and Adam Scott, like, I don't think that they intended it to, to like 
primarily be a puzzle box show, even yeah. though there are parts of it that are puzzle boxy. For sure. For sure. And I mean, certainly the, the podcasts that we are wanting to listen to are going to play up the puzzle box yeah. elements more than at least I'm generally engaging with. Although I will say like to maybe perhaps backtrack a tiny bit on my comments earlier that like one of the things I do like about the way this episode handles the like plot character development mm-hmm. relationship is having this kind of front loaded focus on Sandy and Elizabeth. Yeah. And then um, Stan and Sandy before they get too much into the like ridiculousness of the CIA bro. Yeah. Well, and I wonder like if, and, and we can talk about this more, but if maybe there is part of what we're thinking about in these podcast episodes is like, okay, where are the moments where the characters are people? And where are the moments where the characters are, are, are spies or like in their official roles and mm-hmm. what's the relationship between those things? Yes, exactly. And when are they plot devices? Exactly. And like the Martha introducing her parents feels a little bit like turning it all into a plot device totally. rather than like that is a thing that Martha would do, but like doing it too fast in a kind of one-off scene in this episode feels weird. Like it doesn't kind of fully realize the emotional potential depth of that. Yeah. I think that that, I think that that's right. Um, I, I, however, though, there is a perfect moment of the Americans that I want to contrast with this. Go for it. It's not necessarily emotional depth, but it's one of like, and this happened just a couple of episodes ago where Arcadi gets to have some of the most like absurd comedy, funny lines. <laughs> He's like talking to Nina, ch- they're chatting in her new office. Like she got the promotion. She's excited. Arcadi briefs her in on the bug. And then Arcadi is like, clearly had thought this out in advance <laughs> yeah. and is like super and excited to break out his Howard Cozell, his Goward Cozell uh, uh, impression about uh, like fully into Russian, you know, Nina now welcome. Like now it's time for you to be in the big leagues. Yeah. Right. And the like Arkady Howard Cozell impression of big leagues is just a purely perfect moment of television. I was so confused by this moment. So I'm excited that you're this excited about it. So also as Danielle, we'll find out a lot more in two episodes episodes when uh, our special guest closer of the season joins us. Uh, Arkady, like, is dear and near and dear to my heart among the, like, secondary characters okay. of this show. And it's both for his role in the plot and for some of, like, key emotional scenes. Mm-hmm. And it's also because the, like, I burn my hand on the potato, I'm doing a Howard Cazell <laughs> impression <laughs> moments as well are why I feel so endeared. Like, I'm endeared towards our friend Arkady Ivanovich. I forgot about that I burn my hand on the potato, which then sets off this, like, whole, <laughs> like... Right. Vlad lives if he doesn't... Well, he... <laughs> Arkady dies, but Vlad lives and yeah. Arkady doesn't burn his hand on the potato. And, and the also, potato. yeah, just the whole thing. <laughs> oh, yeah. A, <sighs> a great moment. One that I needed to explain to me, but I'm happy that you're here to explain it. Great. Um, I think the last thing in glass for us, Danielle, is there are a lot of existential quips and aphorisms so this many. episode. <laughs> so we can just like go back and forth with some of our faves. Yes. Um, I'll start. So one that I loved was, this is from Zhukov, play is serious. It's how we learn to read one another and the world. Amazing. Incredible. And then just like 
45 seconds later, he's like, Malish died. And then he <laughs> says to Elizabeth, we all die alone, Elizabeth. And before that, we make choices. It's just so like- we've gone from play is serious, play is how we come to learn the world, to we all die alone. And before that, you make choices. Oh, my God. And and this is also, Zhukov just had like so many he had gems. so many. Makes so many gems. Very sad that he's dead, but I'm hoping we get him in more flashbacks. Um, he goes, nature's genius and easy to overlook when they're, when they're like walking in the, in the gardens, just like mm-hmm. beautiful. It's because Danielle nature, this garden is a process of becoming. <laughs> oh my God. Like true, like Zhukov Deleuze over here. Zhukov, the political theorist. <laughs> <laughs> um, there's more, um, they, we have Zhukov explaining love to Elizabeth uh, vis-a-vis Malish the dog. Right? Love. love is the most profound feeling out of taking care of something or someone. You grow to love them, which is, again, him describing Malish and instructing Elizabeth how to love Philip, such that Philip is Malish the dog. And then we also get Nina with a wonderful line here. I only have fear and you, she oh. says to Stan, which... She's had lots of those, like, devastating, yeah. like, lines, which tend to go right over Stan's head. He is 100%. not on the emotional level to receive the, like, sledgehammer of these lines from Nina, but Nina is always there to deliver them. And we are here for Nina's sledgehammer lines. We sure are. Um, so, any more existential quips of Soviet nostalgia? I don't think so, but I just, like, again, I just want to like, give it up for Zhukov and his, like, undying wisdom, even though he's dead. The wisdom lives on. It's perfect. It's perfect, Daniel. Oh, my God. Should we get into, uh, should we get down into the cave? I, something else that always lives on. Always lives on. John, take us into the cave. The, ca- the cave okay. is your oyster today. Wow. Um, I'm trying to trace the multiple implications of that metaphor. That's maybe for a different session of the cave. Uh, So today in the cave, I want to take not actual Sigmund Freud in like the depth of psychoanalytic theory. Instead, Daniel, I'd rather take a caricatured version of Freud into the cave with us. Are you okay with this? I feel great about it. I think this episode needs a caricatured version of, of, of a thinker. Yeah. We need a caricature of Howard Cozell, and we need a caricature of Sigmund Freud. Um, so again, like any number of brilliant theorists, critical theorists of various kinds who have used Freud and like t- used psychoanalysis to make incisive critiques, we're leaving all of that aside, mm-hmm. right? Instead, we're Great. going for like, what's the pop version of Freud that everybody knows? Uh, you want to, uh, you know, there's a there's an Oedipus complex, there's an Electra complex. We've got some family relations. It's who do you want to kill and who do you want to sleep with? So, Danielle, <laughs> in such a pop caricatured version of bad psychoanalysis, you brought up earlier that it's almost as if, Danielle, Zhukov takes on the role of the father to oh, Elizabeth, <laughs> right? Elizabeth has, uh, her dad dies in the war. Daddy issues. Daddy issues. Zhukov is 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 daddy here. Uh, what does Claudia claim to have happened to transpire between her and Zhukov, Daniel? But they have banged it out. They have banged it out. That would make what? That would make Claudia in what relationship to Elizabeth? The mother. The mother. Uh, what does Elizabeth want to do to Claudia? Kill her. 
It's like a reverse gendered Oedipal situation. Although I don't think that Elizabeth wants to fuck Zhukov. I don't think that. But for the purpose of bad Freudianism, I guess we could say that. So that is my descent into the cave this week. I love that. And I think it's only, it it like makes the fact that they call her granny even more (sighs) interesting. Wow. Wow. (laughs) Depths depths of the cave we didn't even know existed. We didn't even know. You know, I think that we'll probably return to Freud. So let's like leave Freud down here. He can, the caricatured version of him can carry the puppets. <laughs> Brilliant. It feels right. Is, is is one of those puppets a cigar, Danielle? Is it a cigar? Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Uh, what a this was a good cave. It was a good. It was a good cave. We got in there and got out quickly. Um, the best kinds you. of caves are like that. Thank you, caricatured Freud. We love. We love. Well, I think that brings us to the end of the episode. It is. There's only two more left this season. I'm excited for for something big to happen with Stan and Nina. And like, listen, I think that Philip and Elizabeth are getting back together. We're like, maybe we'll see the apartment for a scene, but like, that's it. All right. Fair enough. Well, come see which of these foretellings by Danielle (laughs) will and will not come true when we talk about season one, episode 12, The Oath, which will be the next episode. And thank you as always to producer Amy. And uh, we're helping us drag those guys through (laughs) through the the window window, at the bar. Doing the beating up in the bathroom. Uh, That's it from us on Not Quite Great Books. A TV podcast. Bye. Thank you for joining us on another episode of Not Quite Great Books, a TV podcast. It's created by Daniel Hanley and John McMahon and indirectly producer Amy. You can find us on Twitter at NotGreatBooksTV. You can email us at NotGreatBooksTV at gmail.com. If you have comments or questions that we might potentially read and respond to on air, subscribe, download, rate, review us, tell your friends to find us at Apple Podcasts, Podbean, Spotify, and Amazon Music, and Google Podcasts. We would like to thank Less FM for Electro Trend 60s, which is the music that you heard at the beginning and you are hearing right now. Until next time. Go play some racquetball.